these five chapters about walking in the light or walking in darkness. Um, but this book was written by the Apostle John. This is the John who was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, one of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And, and John was one of the three closest to Jesus. I think if you've read the Gospels, you kind of remember that there's a threesome that Jesus chose to be mm -hmm. closest to him. You know, he, he, he was calling Peter, James, and John. He called the three of them up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He chose Peter, James, and John to go with him uh, when he raised up Jairus' daughter after she had died. He chose uh, Peter, James, and John to go with him deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him yes. before he faced, like, the agony of the cross. And so some of the most important moments of Jesus' life uh, ministry were shared with John and I mean think about it at the crucifixion as Jesus is dying on the cross if you remember he looks at John and he says you know to receive here's Mary like receive her as your mother to take care of her and so Jesus had great trust in John mm -hmm. and I and John was also very close to Jesus and think about all the things that he experienced he was there when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. He was there in the boat, you know, seeing Jesus walk on water. Yeah. He saw Peter walk on water. He saw Jesus speak to the raging sea and calm the storms. He saw Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Uh, he, he saw and spoke with Jesus. He ate with him after Jesus came back resurrected from the grave yes. for 40 days he appeared and said to the disciples and many others and so can you imagine the full life experiences that John had <laughs> talking with Jesus and then he had a revelation he was he was banished to the Alapatmos we know for the preaching of the gospel and while he was there he had this spectacular revelation of Jesus Christ that's mm -hmm. what the book of book of revelation is the revelation of jesus christ yes and so john inspired by the holy spirit while on the isle of patmos he writes that book of revelation um, i think just can you imagine his life the fullness of it all those experiences that he had and his understanding of truth yeah having talked with jesus and seen all these things and i think no wonder he wrote at the last verse of the last chapter of the Gospel of John, he said, now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself couldn't contain the books that could be written, wow. that would be written. And I would imagine, like, no wonder John would say that, like, how can I explain who this <laughs> Jesus, the Lord, God, is? And he would have written, I guess you can understand how he could have wanted to write volumes of books, but this book of First John, when he writes this book, he's an elderly man. This is about 60 years after the beginnings of the church, right. the day of Pentecost, when the church officially began. Uh, it's now about 60 years later, so he's a wise apostle and a disciple. He's an experienced apostle. Yes. And, you know, I thought, as we were writing this, we thought, wouldn't it be awesome to have been john to be in your church and be like john's going to come and do a bible study with us. like john's going to come and we're coming <laughs> <laughs> and then and then as we were writing it was like well wait we kind of are being discipled by john because we're reading 
the book that he wrote, but then I thought, no, he'd probably turn that quickly around and say, no, remember in my gospel of John that Jesus said it's the Holy Spirit Amen. who will come and lead you and guide you into all truth. So really, we're being taught today, whether you realize it or not, but we should realize it, is the Holy Spirit's here to teach you. If you're born of God's Spirit, yes. he's the teacher and guide on the inside of you to, to teach you, and it really goes with what Mary was saying. He wants our expectation to rise. Like, I'm going to show you something mm. today. I'm going to disciple you today and show you something personally about who I am. And so I know that John would be quick to pass the glory on to God and say, so whatever you get, you're getting truly from the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's just pray before we do read this portion of First John chapter 2. Father, we ask you to teach us, guide us, disciple us this morning by the power and help of the Holy Spirit. Our ears are open, our hearts are receptive, and Lord, we make a determination not to just hear and expect, but whatever we hear, we want to be doers of it. Yes. We thank you, Father, because it's in the doing you say that's where the blessing comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's read. We start in verse 12. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. For his name's sake. Verse 13. I'm writing to you fathers. Because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men. Because you have overcome the evil one. And I write to you children. Because you know the father. Verse 14. I write to you fathers. Because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men. Because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all of that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we're going to take a little deeper look into the uh, verses that we got up here in verse 12. We're going to take a look at that. And it, he starts off by says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. It, praise God our sins are forgiven. Amen. They're forgiven. And I said it earlier, just if we get a revelation of that, we will be standing and worshiping God and throughout the day, you're going to be thanking him. It's going to be a lifestyle because the, the, the more you understand who he is, the more you're going to worship him. Yeah, I mean, really. I, it, and even the words that we sing, you might not like the music, but if you look at the words that is being spoken of, uh, if you're born again, you love those words. Day and you're, night, you, night and day. Yeah. <laughs> you love him. Rise. You love him. He's forgiven us our sins. Hallelujah. And I love how John is saying little children. And, and really he's, he's, not in, in, he's not writing just to little children as we would think, like baby dedication idea. He, he's writing to the entirety of Christendom here. He's calling a, an endearing term little children. And that's regardless of age. And he's talking about your sins are forgiven. You know, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, I love it. Beloved, now you're children of God. 
not going to be when I die and get to heaven. You know, we come to a realization of who we are and who he made us to be. Our life will be different. It'll be completely changed. He says we are now children of God. It's going to be up on the screen. Let's go to verse 13. And in verse 13, John uses three different designations. And he writes to fathers, young men, and children. I write to you fathers. That's that. This is speaking of mature believers. These, these are men and women who have reached a spiritual maturity over a long period of time by being a doer of the word and walking with the Lord and being able to be corrected and listen to the Spirit of God in His directions. And then he says, I'm writing to you young men, and I really like this. He speaks of those who are not quite as mature, but uh, they've been taught in the Word, and they have grown in character, and they're becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And he writes to them, and I love this. He says, because you're strong, because you know the Word of God, you know the Word of God, and that Word abides in you. And when, that, when you know the Word of God and it abides in you, you're going to overcome the evil one all the time. And, and understand, they, they understand the difference between uh, right and wrong, uh, good and evil. Uh, they're able to handle the Word of God accurately and the way they are speaking out, which is, we know, the sword of the Spirit. And this is how we, we fight against the uh, thoughts that come. They're taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. When, you know, because sometimes thoughts just come to our mind, and they are squirrely at times. Amen? And it's the time to take that thought captive. And does this line up with the Word of God? This is, this is what he's talking about. These young men have knowledge of the word enough that they can judge the thoughts that come into their mind. And then he's writing to little children. And, you know, in verse 13, it's a different word, Greek word, for children. This one is, means that these, it doesn't necessarily mean youngsters. It actually means somebody who just got born again. It's what it means. I'm, they're immature in the faith. Uh, they're beginning to walk with God. They know that now my sins have been forgiven. The sacrifice that Jesus washed my sins away, and I'm now a child of God. And this isn't like you're a child chronologically. This is I just came into the kingdom, and now I'm a child. Yeah. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that because we all start off there. That's right, yeah. And so John, again, let's remember that he's, you know, likely 85, maybe 90 years old whenever he's writing this letter to the church. And think about it, after all those years, he would have seen a couple of generations of believers grow True. up in the church. After 40 or this many years, 85 to 90 years old, he's helped disciple many people. Mm -hmm. he's, he's watched as people mature, not just chronologically get right. older as the right. years go by, but he's watched people mature spiritually, and this is what he's talking about, fathers, young men, and children, that there's this generational growth, you know, that the point is that we are supposed to be growing. And so right. he's writing to these fathers saying, you know, you, these fathers who've reached a measure of spiritual maturity, obviously, because he says, because you know him who's from the beginning. And that maturity doesn't happen. You know, you could come to church and, you know, come to church for 50 years and you're, 
hair will slowly get grayer and you know your wrinkles will start to form and have all the things that happen whenever you get older chronologically but it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be growing more mature spiritually right right because these fathers I believe that he's talking to who know him from the beginning have grown and matured in their faith little by little through their relationship with right. Christ they're, it's through love and obedience and letting the word of God change you on the inside, this is how we mature. Come on. It's not just simply chronological time of, of saying, well, I gave my life to Christ 50 years ago. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, become, it's up becoming more like Jesus. Amen. And so John addresses the church family saying Right. This He's way. writing to the fathers and the spiritually mature. And this helps us to see the goal, as a matter of fact. Yeah. We see the the progression that uh, is cyclical for sure, and it should be ongoing. Is that we are always growing, we're we're maturing, we're we're not the same as we were a year ago. These little children are growing up to the young men. The young men, uh, they're being put into them the word of God by the fathers, so that they can quickly bring the word of God up into their heart and their mind, and they can judge the things of the world through the word of God. It's important for us because the fathers are the ones who are teaching not just the young men, but also the children. They're teaching them how to be conformed to the image of Christ. They're helping them with their character. They're mentoring. That's the word that's used today. They're mentoring them. And in order for this, this to work, there has to be the fellowship and not just a, a, a fellowship. Hey, I, I remember you. I, yeah, I remember you. What was your name again? You know, it is like coming to a place where we actually have fellowship. We spend time to get to know one another. We understand each other. And part of that, and the only way that really makes it work, is that we have to have honor. Honor your elders. Remember what the Bible says there? Honor your elders in respecting them and be attentive to what they're saying. That's necessary if you're going to have any kind of biblical mentorship coming through the church mm -hmm. that is for sure and there's such a need for spiritual fathers in the church today amen yeah, yeah. and uh, you know the young men today really need to see a role model yeah because the world will give them a role model you know that and many of these young men are growing up in fatherless homes absentee dads you know, because uh, you <laughs> the woke culture will tell you what masculinity in men is. Toxic. Toxic masculinity. <laughs> have you heard the term? Okay. You know, and this is the problem because we have young men that don't want to work, uh, let alone work hard. <laughs> you know, they want to be on the... Uh, the internet they want to play video games they you know they want somebody else to take care of me they are watching porn they're smoking weed they're living in their parents basement at 30 years old you know that would have been an embarrassment in the 40s the 50s you know even the 60s and 70s that would have been an embarrassment you know but now you know you <laughs> we have to take the time we have to understand the responsibility that we have and we have to sacrifice for others and that is something that has to be taught to this younger generation but it, it's still not there because honestly you know uh, those responsibility and sacrifice was noble then 
It's noble today, even though culture will tell you that that is bogus and in a sense they're trying to tell you that it's white supremacy to be responsible and, and to have a, a, a lookout for someone else other than yourself. But why do you think it's so uncommon in today's society? Why, why do you think that these young people right now don't get it? Like because culture is telling you that male masculinity is bad, but masculinity in females is good. See how they're trying to reverse the roles that God has ordained? We have, even in the military, they have drag queens in the military to encourage people to join. We have sports world telling us that it's okay for a man to compete against a woman as long as he says he's a woman. Do you know that this is a war on women? It's a war on women. Remember what in the book of Revelation? The woman flies off and is running. And the devil opens his mouth and a big flood comes. But the earth opens up and protects the woman. And then she's taken off to the wilderness in protection. And then what does it say? It says, then the serpent went out and made war against her offspring. We've got to understand that this false belief, this, this, all this lie about gender confusion is, is I can be both male and female. It's a lie. It's a plain lie. You know, uh, you know the L- look, these are people that need help. We don't hate these people. We want to help these people. And there's plenty of those people that want to get out of that, but have no idea. Because their, their culture, the LGBTQ1A2S++++. That's actually for real. That's, that's a real designation. We chuckle, but yeah. this is kind of what, yeah, we should, we should question. Yeah. Because and it's. You come back and understand that this is, this is a, this is at war with God. And if you read Jonathan Kahn's book, The Return of the Gods, this, this is really coming from the goddess Ishtar. And when we were, because we've been reading the Old Testament, we see that it's also Ashtaroth. And then in the Greek mythology, it's Aphrodite's. In the Hindu goddess, it's Kali. And in the New Testament, in Ephesus, it's the goddess Diana. There's the same demon spirit. But God made them male and female. That's pretty simple. And it's important. Fathers, you're incredibly important. You need to teach men, young men, how to be men. You have to teach them the the traits of being a man. And when they start getting it, guess what? Violence will go down. The use of pornography will drop off. Really, you'll find the desire of work and accomplishing something is going to increase for sure. They're going to learn how to be a giver, not a taker. They're going to find that they actually are desiring to love their family, protect their family, put their family first place. They'll have a vision for their life rather than being in mom's basement 
and playing video games. See, nobility will come back. And it won't come back in the whole world, folks. We're on a spiral that cannot be changed. But yet, we have the ability to be fathers in the faith to help the young men and the children, and it is our responsibility. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us our responsibility. It's important that we do it. We've got to have a vision and impart a vision to our, our kids about challenging themselves, challenging themselves to do better, challenging themselves to be productive, challenging them. God is re he has wired men to take on this responsibility. He, he's wired men to carry the weight. Let's put it that way. He's required a lot from men, and he has given us the anointing to be able to do it. He's given us the strength and the ability to do it. But it takes work to do that. Yeah. It takes work is good. This is what we need to say. Work is good. <laughs> <laughs> We, can't, we cannot allow our kids or even our spiritual family to always take the path of least resistance. Right. Challenge ourselves. You hear something, well, you know, be like the Berean church. I'm going to check the scripture myself to see if it's so. Don't just, hey Siri, is this right? No, yeah, that's not AI searching anything out. <laughs> you never know what AI is going to put on there. <laughs> John writes 2,000 years ago, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. Fathers have such an important role in the church mm -hmm. and in the family. The, John stamps his value on fatherhood right here. Children to learn about Christ through their dads, through their family. They grow and have the ability to win in life on their own. Not waiting for somebody to take care of them. It's one generation teaching the next generation, teaching the next generation, teaching the next generation. And that all has to start with fellowship. It has to start with respect and honor and ability to listen and being honest in those conversations. And it's, it's helping them grow in their ability to win their own battles with Absolutely. against sin and temptation. Absolutely. This is, this is the power of it. And it's so important because, you know, we say the world's kind of coming at, it's coming at everybody, but it's coming at the heart of our kids. Because when you capture a child's heart, well, then yep. you have a longer period of time to keep making that effect. And we just believe that there is a delusion at work in the world. I mean, last week there was a satanic gathering, the largest ever of the satanic church gathered together, and things were promoted, like abortion, transgenderism, how to deconstruct from your uh, old religious upbringing. These were just some of the things that they had on their uh, seminar list of breakout sessions and other types of things. I mean, all it says to me, I think, is clear that a satanic side, mm -hmm. there's a satanic side to the issues that we're seeing affecting our culture today. It's not just political no. differences. This is coming from a spiritual realm, of, you know, that's affecting. And, and the interesting thing is a lot of these people that were there, because they interviewed some of them, they're like, I don't believe in Satan. I don't worship Satan as a being. Well, though, for one thing, they were deceived. Right. You know, but Satan doesn't even really mind if you don't bow down and worship him. 
All he cares about is just be, get the person in opposition to yes. God. And that'll take its course far enough. Amen. <laughs> and maybe it will end up, you know, with a literal worship of Satan. But if he can get you to just to undermine the word of God in your mind, stray from it. The plan of Satan from the beginning has been for you to cause you to doubt yeah. God's word, change God's word. Did God really say he did it in the garden? It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just move away from God's moral standards, especially. Choose yeah. your own path. And it doesn't take much to look out at the world and see what's happening. You have big businesses. You've got food corporations. You have banks, schools, universities, all in their own way promoting opposition to God. I mean, I saw a Doritos commercial the other day. It was like, what in the world? Doritos is advertising diversity, inclusion, and, you know, it's like, just sell a product that people eat and, you know, want to buy and want. <laughs> like, what are we, what is happening yeah. here? And see, these people aren't shouting like they did at this satanic gathering where the woman stood up and she literally ripped up the Bible onto the floor and as they were all shouting, hail Satan in the background. Well, you know, you're not going to see it that plainly in the culture, but this is really who's behind yep. it. Pushing opposition, mm -hmm. throw this book away. You don't need this book. It's a hindrance. It's oppressive. And so we have to realize, you know, because we're going to get into these verses here in a moment about the spirit of the world, which the, yes. John says we are not to love the world. But this is because the world was going to turn our hearts away from God. But we have to recognize, you know, that we will either overcome Satan which is what John was commending these young people for. You've overcome the evil yeah. one. Do we see the evil one? We have to see him at work first before we can overcome. We, we will either overcome him or he will overcome. We'll be overcome by him, yep. put it that way. That's true. And that's not too strong of a statement because there really is no neutral zone in this. There's light and darkness. There's no gray. Gray is already moving you into the darkness. Right. And so parents, and we were mentioning fathers particularly here and sons and children, you, don't, you cannot let your guard down and forget that we're in a spiritual war That's as right. we look out at the world. Keep praying for your child. Your prayers are powerful. Engage your child's heart around there. what they're thinking, yeah. what they're seeing, what they're questioning. Teach them about their faith. Teach them how to defend their faith. Mm -hmm. You know, don't trust everything just because then on the other side it's labeled Christian. I mean, we've talked with parents who spent good money, a lot of money, to send their child to a university, Duquesne University. Right. Went in as a believer, came out as a total unbeliever. Talked to out of her talked faith out of by their faith. the professors. Yeah. And so the world wants to imprint its value system into your heart, especially into our, our kids' heart. Let's look at verse 15. John goes on in these verses to say, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. Now, that's a good... Straight up. Straight up. Verse 16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away, and also it's lust, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so love for the world, you know, and all that it offers just begins on the inside. It tells you, like, the most important thing about life is now. You know, <laughs> yeah. and you're the central feature in it. 
you, you need to get what you want. You need to get your needs met. You need to get your own self-satisfaction. Do it your way. That's what the world is whispering. You only have one life to live, so, hey, get out there and try it. Do it. Yeah. Get everything out of this earthly life that you can, you know, and hold tight to whatever it is you're finding, whether it's money or, you know, beauty or it's pleasures or it's fame, glory, all of it. Yeah. Find your truth. I mean, aren't we seeing this? Make your own statement. Do it your way. Now, this is Proverbs 17. says this, verse 24. The, the discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. I need everything. Yeah. It's got to be now. I have to experience everything. I want what you have. I want what you want. And it plays it out in so many ways of like just... It really turns into self-idolatry because yes. it it's all turned in on me. On It's subconsciously telling you to, you deserve the glory. Think about what happened in the Garden of Eden, and you could just see the parallel so easily. Yeah, it's, all this comes from the mind of Satan, that's for sure. You know, the same temptation that, you know, look, you can be like God. And every person who's born on this earth has that sin nature like Adam and Eve brought upon us. You know what? Guess what? We're bombarded day and night with images, words, uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever else there is out there. I'm sure there's more than that. People stare at those electronics morning to night, scrolling, swiping, clicking. And, you know, look at me. Look at my truth. Here's this. People make the dumbest videos in the world. And they get millions of views. You know, get their <laughs> phone... Watch me take out the trash. <laughs> Million views. It's true, isn't it? Watch well, me I'll make the perfect bed. Yeah. Here's my morning. It's like, what? Do I care? Do I really care? But the, here's the key. We do all that all day, and then you don't have time to read the word. Yeah. <laughs> it's dumbing down. Hey, you know yeah. what? It, it, here's the key. You don't want to stand before Jesus when you have no opportunity to change and be judged for the way that happened. You want to be shocked now. You want to get shaken now so that you can change. Because if you change now when God is showing you something, when the Holy Spirit is showing you something, guess what? You can get in line with the Word of God and then eternal rewards will be granted to you as you are a doer of the Word. As you stand in faith. But all this stuff, this, well, it's an iPhone. <laughs> it might as well be a me phone. <laughs> It's a focus all on yourself, all this. It creates more and more what? Envy, rivalry of the heart. It creates jealousy. People are killing themselves over somebody else's life. Yeah. Here's a clue. Do you know they only show the good parts of their life? Hello! Their life could be completely miserable. Yeah. I know personally, somebody, the whole family went on vacation to Florida. Oh, look how wonderful it is. We're on the beach, this and that. Well, guess what? Behind the scenes, the teenager wanted to run away. And we want to, we want to cancel somebody who disagrees with us. And it gives people pleasure. Good, I canceled them. 
I feel so good now. Yeah. I'm in control. I'm like God. Or I want to belittle this person because it just makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm king. You know, people are, people are actually proud of this stuff. And I'm sorry to say Christians are involved with this. Christians are involved with this. It's, it's, look at verse 16. What does it say? What is the lust of the flesh? It, it's actually craving and being preoccupied with self-gratification, whether it's physical pleasures, sex, food, drugs, alcohol, whatever. Desires of the flesh can play out in selfishness too. Or laziness, really, extremes, mm-hmm. obsessions, and self-image. I, I, you know, you starve yourself because you want to look like this person, this movie star, or that, or this, or you know what? They have a personal trainer that they go to the gym five hours a day, <laughs> right. and they have yeah. all the money in the world, and they tell you, you should be like me. No. All this Botox, plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Their faces are frozen. It's like, <laughs> how old are you? 85. <laughs> you know, the lust of the flesh, the eyes, the lust of the eyes. It's craving everything we see. Do you know that every commercial was driving that into you? You need this. You need this. You need this. But they have a better one, so you need you now you can throw your car away and you need a new car because you know what? Yeah. Theirs is nicer. But I want to make sure that they are envious of me. <laughs> you know? It, it's, you know, here's Psalm 73 says this. It says their eyes bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. <laughs> Do you understand what that means? I, me, me, I want, I want, I need, I got to have. the eyes. Yeah, they're bulging. Oh, did you see the newest whatever? You know, a poor person could be like this. It doesn't mean that you're rich, you know. You know, think about these drug cartels. I mean, they're moving millions of dollars. They're involved with governments. Iran was just caught with dealing with drug dealers so that they can have money and get money. Government. A government dealing with them. He asked him, why are you doing this? And it was like, well, I grew up a gang member really poor. And I wanted to be rich. And so I killed my way to the top. Killed my way to the top, folks. These are things that we have to be aware of because you and I are bombarded with this all the time. And listen, people in my generation are not putting up with the bombardment and the race to steal your children's heart as what this generation is growing up now. They have it a lot tougher. You guys have it a lot tougher than we did. This is why you need to anchor yourself in the word of God and you need to judge everything by the word of God. And it's our responsibility as a church to help. Bring out truth. Share truth. Mm -hmm. But in order for all this this conversation to happen, there has to be this fellowship. There has to be honesty. So let's let's go on to the pride of life, that third part of that. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What's that? Well, I think you mentioned the word pride. 
and every, you think ego, and that is what, really what it's connected to, the pride of life, you know, in our achievements, our possessions, mm -hmm. look at me, look at what I've accomplished. And it's not that achievements and possessions, like accomplishments are good. We Amen. should want to accomplish something good in life, and even possessions, possessions aren't bad. You know, we should, we should enjoy the possessions that maybe we've gained through our accomplishments. Mm -hmm. But it's this, pride is this secret, secret thing in the heart, like that you enjoy the status that it gives you compared right. to somebody else. All right, there's this, I, I did this, look what I have, and this sense of superiority that your possessions yes. give you. It's just this, pride is, ends up, you know, in this excessive desire to be recognized, to be applauded, kind of to stroke the ego. I mean, this is the person like that you say, well, I took a trip to the New Jersey shore this summer, and they're like, oh, that's nice. Do you know what I did? I went on the Mediterranean, and we were, well, <laughs> you know, they go on, we were at this resort, and the next thing you know, it's all about them. It's like some, it's this, you want to be, try to be one up all the time. Yeah. That's the pride of life. Yeah. You know, and I heard this, I thought this was a good illustration. Somebody said they described that the human ego was like a memory he had of going into a, a barber shop, an old barber shop whenever he was a kid, and you sit in the chair and there's a mirror in front of you and then there's a mirror behind you. And you ever have that experience where you just sort of like see this infinite number of times that you're reflected in it? And he said, it's like that, this is the pride of life. It's, it goes on like a million-fold <laughs> reflection of I, 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 me, 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 me. <laughs> and there's really so much of this going on in the world that yes. we're affected by it. Like we recently read of a... Oh, this was yeah. this Mars basketball coach. Anybody read that article? Uh, she quit. Very successful. Very successful. She'd been doing it for years. And she quit all of a sudden, surprised everybody. And the whole article in the paper was she quit because of the parents. Yeah, she says, it wasn't because I'm tired. I have a whole, whole lot of coaching left in me. But right. It's the parents who come in. Why isn't little Betsy up there and she's not in? My 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 daughter's just you just want to lose. Yeah, I mean just this was year after year after year she just stopped putting up with it. Yeah, and the parents complained. Yeah. I mean they threatened, they Took slandered her, to the, her. Yeah. Went before the school board to complain about her. And you'd think, well, why? What what was this coach doing wrong? They wouldn't the, put the people who were not as good in. She said we were in a lot of games this year that were close, and we want to win. A coach gets paid to win. And the people, she says, the people, the parents that complained the most, their kids came late to practice. They didn't work hard at practice, and they wanted to be in. And, of course, everybody's kid is the next yeah. Who's a basketball player? I don't. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Michael, He's the yeah, next. Right. They're the next Michael Jordan, and it's just it's. Did anybody happen to look on Fox News? Uh, the uh, off a of phone, off a of phone. Well, they they showed a uh, a parent of a high school baseball player coming around, sucker punched the umpire. Knocked him completely out. This is a disabled vet, this umpire, who wanted to help the community and give back. This parent, unremorseful, 
the whole time, even when the police arrested him. And the umpire was just trying to calm his boy down because his boy obviously calling ball and strikes and just started to be obnoxious and just kind of kept driving and driving. And the umpire stayed steady, just said, calm down. Let's just get back to the game. Relax, relax. Just let's just play ball. Well, at the end of the inning, that umpire came out, opened the gate, and just kind of was stretching his legs, looking back over the field. That guy comes around. It's all on video. Comes around and cold cocks him. Folks, this is the culture that you are living in. Don't stick your head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. This is where you have to be so tenacious holding on to your faith right now. Well, and I think as parents, like, I've heard this over and over again, that they're, you know, this is common in hockey, it's common in baseball, like, parents go crazy, you know, about this, this issue. Like, yeah, you should have been picked. Right. You know, they're, you're, they're reinforcing the spirit of the world inside the child when parents do that. Yeah, you should have been picked. Yeah, you should have been recognized. Yeah, you, you're better than the other people. I don't know why the coach did this. Bad mouth the coach right in front. The of, refs were against you. You like making your child feel like, oh, you're the you're such a victim here, and everybody mm. else is against you. And this is not a good way to parent, <laughs> because you're reinforcing the spirit of the world and, and these things about even the pride of life. Yeah. Like, like look at me in the child's mind. It's like it's all about you, you, you. What about the child's responsibility? You know, and teamwork. Mm-hmm. I mean, teaching your child how to lose gracefully is not easy, but it is necessary because life is going to provide your child, as we all know it, if you've lived in the world, a lot of opportunities for learning that life isn't fair. Yes. Not everything's going to turn out fairly. And what are they going to do? How will they weather the disappointments and the losses that come against them in life? Yes. We want them to come out better and stronger, right? With better character, this is what John was saying. You young, young ones are overcomers. You know how to overcome the evil one. So we have to like teach our kids it's not through a sucker punch to the no. umpire yeah. or slandering the coach at the school board and saying, my poor child. Yeah. We have to teach our children not to just be, you know, the word, I guess, myopic, short-sighted. It's like teach them the bigger picture of life. Show them scriptures like this. Ask, help them to ask themselves like the bigger questions even. What it, was my it, responsibility? And it's, yeah, that it's not, I know everybody wants to win. We should want to win. I mean, that's the point of playing the game. But it isn't just about winning. I mean, what may God be helping us in this situation to see about ourselves, about mm-hmm. life? How should I respond? You know, and when so you're we're, teaching. We're, we're, we're trying ahead. to teach our children to do well in life, like to grow yeah. So that they overcome evil, they don't side in with it, with the way the world is. Mm-hmm. It's, the truth is, it's like all life, you're going to win, you're going to lose. All of us. And what we have to do is be able to, to deal with it in a godly way. Yeah. Model. We want to model to our kids how to do well at life. How should I handle my frustration with this umpire? Well, what that parent did was... Not how you handle it. No. This, this, and, and you have to remind our children that in the midst of the wins and the losses of life, that all this is helping them to do life well. Yeah. 
so that when they're 35 years old, it's like, I learned that lesson back there. That's not the way to handle it. And their character will grow stronger. And actually, as a follower of Christ, we should be asking them, you know, teach, we should say, Lord, like, what, teach them to ask, Lord, what could I have done better? Right. A little bit of self-awareness goes a long way in this. Could I have worked harder? Yeah. Was I, how can I be a better team player? See, this is, this is what you're doing is, is, listen, if people like you, you're going to have friends. But if you're, you're waiting for your dad to sucker punch somebody, guess what? You're not going to be invited to play. That's right. And you're not going to end up with too many friends. No. And this is, this is what John is, is, especially, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to all of us. It's not just men only. It's men and women here. We've got to get ourselves and understand where we are spiritually. Am I the, the guy that's been in church for 30 years and I didn't grow anywhere? Am I still that infant? Or am I, am I into the young men? Uh, or, you know, our goal should be trying to be a, a spiritual father. And, that's, and not just to the people we like, but to everybody in our church. Folks, there's going to be some trouble coming. And what's going to strengthen us is that fellowship that we have here at this church. You're going to be wanting to be by believers. Because the world is after your kid's heart, after your heart. And we have to understand God is expecting us all to grow. He's expecting us all to grow. I don't know about you, but I want to be a spiritual father. I do. I want to help somebody improve their life. I want to help somebody avoid trouble. I want to help somebody maybe not get pregnant or not go to prison or not be drunk and drive. It's a huge responsibility on the church, but we can do it because greater is he who's in us than he is in the world. The Holy Spirit will guide and lead us into all truth. But it starts with honesty. It starts with that fellowship, true fellowship. It starts with honor, respect. And this is what we need, especially in this time in human history. So let's allow the Holy Spirit to help us find where we are on the journey and I think declare to him that you know what Lord I, I want to be a spiritual father you, you, you definitely want to ask him to help you get there because you want to have fruit that lasts it's a life that you can change Father I don't want to be the same as I am now in three months. I'm asking you to come and correct me. It's that old adage, Lord, shock me now, not shock me later. I want to be able to change. I want to be able to have fruit in my life. And we recognize, Lord, forgive me for all of my failed opportunities, the opportunities I missed, and maybe where I got off and I'm with the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Lord, forgive me for that. I don't want to walk in that way. 
I don't want to love this world. Because you say if you love this world, the love of the Father is not in this. So thank you, Father. As you hear our prayer and ask you to give us. You might be here today with every head bowed and eye closed. You might be here today and, you know, you're recognizing I just come to church and I have never been really operating in the ways of God. I'm not born again. If that's you and you want Jesus Christ come into your life to make you a new creation altogether and to forgive you of your sins and put you on the right path, transfer you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son and you want to walk in the light as he's in the light. If that's you, I'm asking you to raise your hand up high enough so that I can see it, then we'll pray a prayer. Old congregation will pray a prayer and you'll be saved. 